2: Hello, dear listener. This is Ian Lee. Thank you so much for downloading Random Access Memories, a retro gaming podcast. I just want to thank and acknowledge all of my wonderful patrons, patreons, patrons, patrons that help keep this show going. So a big thank you to Martin, to uh, Craig Hannon as Martin Warren, of course, for all the other Martins trying to jump on that bandwagon. Sam Hughes, Harsh Singh, new patron this month, Mark Gidley. Mark, thank you so, so much, uh, so, so much. Mark has written an excellent book. Uh, about the BBC Micro, which I'll, maybe I'll talk about in another show, and of course, uh, executive producer Matt Stanley Evans. I'm standing up and saluting you. Thank you so much for your support. If you want to get the show ad free, get a shout out on the show. Go to Patreon.com/slash Ian Lee. Patreon.com/slash i a i n Enjoy the show. Danny, I never know how to start these things, and I always feel a little bit uncomfortable doing the... Well, this week's guest is... So I'm just going to do it. Yeah. This this week's guest is writer, producer, performer, um, television presenter, uh, voiceover artist, Danny Wallace. You're nodding there. Did I get any of that wrong or did I miss anything out?
1: Oh, there's so much you missed out
2: okay well let's people can google it I get now what did yeah. I what
1: did I miss out what did I miss no, out no 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 it's it, you're it's it's a such a strange thing isn't it because um I do lots of different things so I never know what I am um Wikipedia describes me as a humorist um oh. and i I never really know does that that sort of means he he knows his way around a joke but he's not quite funny enough
2: I always think if humorist makes me think of peter eustinov humorist well maybe raconteur yeah. it's a fine line isn't it
1: yeah, I suppose so. I suppose yeah. I, uh, Bill Bryson would he be? But I mean, he's much bigger than me. But you know, people who work in and around him, with I suppose, humorists
2: would 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 suit Bryson. I um, I li- I like to fall asleep listening to BBC Radio Four Extra. Because uh-huh. I like, I like hearing voices kind of mutter away. And so, and between yeah. 10 and midnight, they do a thing called the comedy club where they play old comedy shows. Some of them I don't think have been listened to for 20 years <laughs> because yeah. sometimes they do voices. If you know what I mean, they do voices. Oh, I, yeah. I understand. And I was drifting off the other day and I, oh, I know what it was. I was drifting off. I think this was the one and it was. Oh God, why do I want to say Russ Abbott? I don't mean Ross Noble. <laughs>
1: uh-huh, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> Ross Noble going around the world and doing comedy in like, I think Africa, Lagos, I think he did in a small club. And then at the end, it's said uh, produced by Danny Wallace. That was me. That and was I, me in my producer days. I didn't know you did things like that back then. It was, a, it was a joy because I'm th- listening to it. Thank God I was thinking this is really entertaining. Um, yes. Uh, and it was it was an absolute riot, and I was surprised. I didn't know you'd produced radio comedies.
1: Yeah, it was. Um, so, I mean, I started up weirdly, I mean, we'll get to it, but I started off writing for video games magazines, and then that led me down a certain path that ended up with me becoming a trainee producer in comedy at the BBC. Right. And almost my first week, I was like, how do I get out of here, as in an office? <laughs> and how do I get out of the country? And I knew Ross. And um, I'm quite good at rhyming. And so the name Ross Noble goes global. (laughs) (laughs) And before you know it, I've been on the phone with Ross and he, you know, liked going around the world. And we pitch Ross Noble goes global. And um, as with most of the things I ever pitched at the BBC, they said, no, we do not want to do this. Um, But there'd always be a hole in the schedule. And then they'd come back and go, do you know that thing? And so one of those was Ross Noble Goes Global. We made a pilot. We went to um, Warsaw and Budapest. And I started to realize that the best thing to do with Ross was just to put a microphone on him, yeah. walk around with him, and point stuff out that he could then just kind of talk about, but also set little tasks. So I remember being in Shanghai with him and we're walking around and I'm thinking what? how can we make this interesting and I said why don't we just follow an old Chinese man and so we just followed an old Chinese man and (laughs) Ross just narrated the evening of the old Chinese man and we followed him into shops and pharmacies and kind of you bought things that he bought and it just became this entertaining thing. Did he know he was being followed? no no but the weird thing is we were so conspicuous i don't know if you've been to china but even other westerners stop in their tracks and stare at you because they may not have seen other westerners for like three or four days so you have a dutch family just walking down and just pointing and ross at the time i believe had bright red clown-like hair Mm -hmm. so it would have been for the old chinese man had he realized it would have been like being followed by pennywise from it um and his bespectacled pal. Um, but the idea was that whatever we did, whether it was in Brussels or South Africa or wherever, um, we'd have some experiences. Then Ross would talk about them on stage. Mm. And then I would somehow splice them together, um, which uh, which I did. And we did two series of that, I think. So I'm pleased that it's being listened to only by you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the, the days when the BBC radio had the cash to do those kind of things. I have been to China. I was in China very briefly for a few days. Um, and yeah, you stick out like a sore thumb as, as a Westerner. Yeah. And we were there. I can't remember exactly what it happened. It was around 99 or 2000. And somewhere in the world, Britain had accidentally fired a missile at a Chinese embassy or oh, something. Goodness. And we got word you have to get out of China and get back to Hong Kong immediately and wow. we um i think a, a, an english school or an english embassy in china there was a riot around it because of this and so we had to hire it sounds so so glamorous it's bloody horrible we had to hire yeah. a, a bulletproof limousine oh come on you should have us, done it
1: anyway to get us to the airport it was horrendous <laughs> oh, that was extraordinary yeah. yeah missiles missiles tend to bring out um the worst in people It does get people uh, angry, uh, doesn't it? I find, although there was the the story about you know they brought in these things now um, where every now and again your phone might go off and go uh, get to shelter. There's a thing happening. Oh or, yeah, ac- know,
2: activates the um, the nanobots in our body. Apparently, yeah, you, uh, that's the yeah. other
1: thing. That's the other downside. Yeah, thing it mean. does. Yes, but um, in America, I remember being in America, and you would get one that says, you know careful, there's a flash flood's coming. And you'd be like, I don't know, how did they get my number? And then a flash flood would happen. Or it'd be useful, it would say, watch out for a brown sedan because a kidnapping has occurred. And you would, you'd look out for a brown sedan. Wow. But one day it went wrong, and it alerted everybody on the island of Hawaii that an intercontinental ballistic missile had been fired at Hawaii to find shelter immediately. This is not a drill. And um, it sort of was a drill. It was a big mistake. But I really felt for all the people on Hawaii who thought they're in their last five minutes, who perhaps confessed to things to their (laughs) partners (laughs) just to let you know, I've been seeing your sister for the last four years, you know, and then nothing happens. Yeah, I suppose it was a moment of honesty.
2: Uh, Yeah, God, that's um, terrifying. Mm. I, I found it quite exciting when the we had that test alarm maybe maybe it was yeah. a year ago I don't know I, I remember my youngest got very upset about it and he wanted to be out of the house when it happened mm-hmm. um but i found it I found it quite exciting yeah um
1: invigorating
2: invigorating um you mentioned you used to write for computer game magazines I did How old were you, and how did you get into that?
1: I was um early teens it would have been about Ninety one ish, I suppose. Um, there was work experience coming up at school, and I was offered the chance to go and dig ditches in a garden centre. And um, I thought M- maybe I'll handle this one. And I, um, I had sort of got into Sega. I think because I moved around a lot as a kid, and I was always having to start again in a new city as an only child. The idea of my own video games, yeah, you know, something for me to do after school or to get a mate round and play against them, um, I, I became really, really – that's what I wanted. I wanted a Mega Drive, and I, you know, got a paper round and things like that to to try and do it. But the games were so expensive, 39 99 yeah. And it was the days to, to write off to some warehouse in Colchester and they would send you your game within 28 days. Yeah. And you had to wait for forever. And one day I'd had a headache and I took my two pounds pocket money and I went down to um, John Menzies and I found a Sega magazine. I picked it up at random and I went home and I had a bath. And then I saw this team who were like having fun, you know, this team on this magazine, what a great job. Imagine that playing games and mm. making a magazine and being pals And I realized that I recognized one of the buildings that they were taking pictures in front of. And I thought, that's here. That's in Bath. And I looked at the address, and there was a whole company of video games, magazines, with all these like super cool people playing their games and having their fun and making their mags. And I thought, maybe I can get in there to do Mm -hmm. work experience. And so they let me in, and I did everything I could possibly do to be helpful. Just making cups of tea, even if people didn't like tea or they already Mm -hmm. had tea. I would make tea, and I would just do whatever I could. And cut a long story short, they let me come back, and one day a reviewer got ill, and they said, do you want to have a go at this? Wow. And I was like, what? And I said, well, yes. And so they gave me the game. Strider, a parallax scroller, Oh, left to right. The guy. It was a Japanese import at the time.
2: We will be covering Strider at some point in this. I have a guest coming up. So I have played Strider in the last few weeks, yeah.
1: Well, Strider was my kind of way in, and I I played Strider to death, and then I played it again, and I sat up late, and I wrote this review, and um, I was called to the editor's desk, and I thought he was going to go, "We can't do this," but instead he went, "Do you want a job?" Wow, and, Danny! You know, I was I was at school, so I couldn't have a job, but I could do freelance, and suddenly I found myself being given the chance to play games or I might do the boring stuff like just writing all the captions um, <laughs> under the screenshots of the reviews or I would take the screenshots for yeah. people. And I took real pride in it. You know, I didn't want boring screenshots. Um, and I played and played games and I remember one day I got a check for a £100 Incredible. of work done and I walked past the window at Dixon's and I stared into it and I thought, I could buy anything here. <laughs> Up to a value of 100 pounds. Yeah, yeah. And I think I bought a Discman. Um, okay, but yeah, that was my way in. And then, uh, thankfully, all the guys on Sega Power, how it would work is they would all go off to other magazines and work on those, but they would give you work as well. So suddenly you'd you'd have a tips column in Super Play magazine, even though you didn't own a Nintendo and had no idea what you were doing. So how Um,
2: did you do do that then? If you didn't have the machine, did you just make it up? Did you ask people? Did you nick it from other magazines?
1: I think I would be sent tips. Right. see, the guy who had that column before me was called Alan, and his column was called Ask Alan. And he had been like Sega Europe, uh, no, Nintendo European Player of the Year or whatever. Right. And then um, he couldn't do it anymore, and so my column was called Don't Ask Alan. (laughs) And so uh, I I was then just like going through whatever tips would come in and trying to make it into something. Um, But I didn't really know what I was doing. And I certainly had no idea what I was talking about. Um, Sometimes I don't think I could even test the tips uh, because it wouldn't have the game in or something. So I was flying blind a bit, but I don't think anyone ever really read those tips pages and then did the tips
2: do do you not think like like I'm I'm always amazed by cookery programmes, right? Because mm-hmm. I don't. Is there anybody at home actually <laughs> taping it and then pausing it, taping it? Uh, but yeah. is there anyone at home doing those recipes? And and I'm want. Yeah, maybe it was the same for your tips. That
1: it no could one. It be. It was sort of. It was there because it looked like it served a purpose. But yeah. I know what you mean about the cooking thing. You, you don't turn around and ask your wife. Do have we got any kirsch? Yeah because I want to make some f- Almond friance or something. Um, it's not going to happen. You just watch it for fun. But yeah, so, so don't, don't ask like, Alan. You did that for a while. Don't ask Alan. Yeah. And then I was working for all these different mags. My first ever book, the first book I ever wrote, was um, a cover-mounted Mortal Kombat tips guide. Right. Um, and that, I took a lot of pride in that. I made yeah. sure that tips were tip-top. And um and and the whole thing was you know delivered and it was on the front of Games Master and I was really kind of I think I got a, a bit of a bug there, but then it came to what do I what do I do after school and I'd been with all these you know and the funny thing was these magazines were selling like two hundred thousand copies it was it was the huge Sega Nintendo wars at the time and, yeah and everyone involved I thought was like a real grown up but they so were you at, by, were
2: you at school when you were doing this.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was at oh, school. Oh wow!
2: So oh, that's I would do it after
1: after school or in all summer holidays. Yeah. Um. And yeah, and they became you know a few of them are still really close mates, um. Amazing. But they seemed to me to be proper grown ups. But they were all about twenty three, um, yeah. and, and straight out of uni. Um. And then it came to what do I do? Do I go to university now? And so I decided to take a year out, and I got a staff writer job on Total Nintendo magazine. Yeah. Uh, called Total, and i just i had so much kind of energy you know when you you're doing something you love and you're young enough and full of ideas i was just writing just thousands of words thousands of words and and just filling the day with things i found really exciting and and you had this little taste of strange celebrity because um, young nerds would turn up at the office or follow you around on your lunch break as you went to boots to buy a sandwich right um because you were one of those guys you know you're a font of all knowledge yeah um so it was it was a really um it was such a fun time
2: so how long did that last it was 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 then the radio the next
1: gig after that right after that was i was super into comedy and sega power had a new editor and a new team And I was really into On the Hour, you know, the Radio Mm. 4 news show. And I'd been given a tape of it. And I didn't know that radio comedy could sound like that. It could be that funny or that imaginative. It blew my mind. Um, And I took it into the office and shared it around with everybody. And then Chris Morris, around that time, started a Radio 1 show. And he was doing things that were just like, are you allowed to do that? It was wild back then, wasn't it? Really wild. Really wild so we were like sharing these tapes around and overnight the tone of the magazine changed from sort of knockabout friendly fun to very odd <laughs> uh, slightly dark humor yeah to the point where we were invited into the uh, the publisher's office who was just reading stuff out to us that was like sub chris morris weirdness um and just going what does this have to do with sonic the hedgehog 3 <laughs> Why have you compared it to the dampness of an old man's hand? Um, he, he he couldn't kind of, but it, it just sort of became this thing. And other magazines were going, "What what's happened to Sega Power? Yeah, They seem to have had a nervous breakdown. There's one story I remember I told it to someone a few years ago. Um, the boys who were older than me, I, I was never very good at, at telling if anyone was on drugs or not. And they, the night before a deadline, went out and... Had some fun, let's say. Okay. And um, then they had to come back the next day and finish off the magazine. And they had a huge exclusive with Virgin Games for the review of The Lion King. And um, it was a very important game to Virgin. And they'd given us, you know, we promised them eight pages in the cover. And my friend Simon wrote it. But Simon was not in the fit state to be writing yeah and he wrote a review eight pages long that i believe was all from the point of view of a tiny fly that had landed on simba's back (laughs) and was telling the story of his day and of uh the game somehow through the perspective of the fly and um the problem with magazines is once you've done your piece it then goes to like a sub editor and an editor and everyone signs off Yeah. and everyone who was in the same situation as Simon signed off on this but then you have to wait for about two weeks because you've put the magazine to bed and then one day you know it's going to come back and that was a very silent day in that office as everyone read this review uh, back and then the phone rang from Virgin who were not happy Uh, that their huge tentpole release was actually just a review about Fly, you know. And um, they didn't speak to Simon for years, I think. I think his name was Doug. (laughs) But so I was in this world, the strange world with these people, Mm. and it was getting me kind of interested in in comedy and on the hour and all these sorts of things. And so when I had this year on Total Magazine, this chance came up with my friends to launch a magazine about comedy. Yeah. Um, And so that's what we did. A short lived but great fun magazine about comedy, which then set me up, took me to Edinburgh, judged the Perrier Award, um, became a trainee producer, all within a few months of.
0: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At Bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online.
1: What is the game that you have brought today? Let me take you back to the late 1980s and Loughborough Leisure Centre. And you've had a great time, Ian. You have been splishing and splashing with um, your pals, probably Anil and Simon. And you... They might have had the floaties out that day, I'm not sure. But you've got that incredible warmth and tiredness of your sort of muscles, um, your, your sort of growing... Uh, you know, slightly preteen, probably muscles. And then you've gone to the shop and you've got your hula hoops and your LucasAid. And now you've got time before you're going to get picked up. And there is the Double Dragon arcade machine. Wow. And Double Dragon was such an exciting thing to come out. It felt dangerous Mm. because you felt like you're on the mean, mean streets. Like the streets of Loughborough probably were after 7 p.m. when you weren't allowed out uh, anymore. Yeah. And the opening, you know, I, you just remember it, and it, Taito Entertainment, I think, and then the kind of the dragons. And this was around the time, you know, you've seen the Karate Kid, there's Chuck Norris you're sort of hearing about, um, there's Kung Fu, and here's a game where you can do it. And all, the only experience you've had of fighting was probably Wave the Exploding Fist on the BBC. Yeah. But but now, here it is. This it was begins. real. This was real. Yeah. Highly accurate graphics, you know. And the great thing about it was the story it told in the first five seconds, which was there was a lady on the street, and then a man comes up and he bashes her. It's not allowed. No. And hoists her over his shoulder, I believe, and takes her away just as the garage door rolls upwards and out steps you yeah and it's very clear what you have to do you have got to get her back by any means necessary that's the whole mission yeah. done in sort of five seconds and playing it one player was great but playing it two player when you had your your mates with you that that was just really exciting mm. um every sound effect was pretty much the same <laughs> um and i you get different weapons you could do a baseball bat you could throw a barrel you could be restrained from behind you'd have to flip people over and I, I have this one abiding memory of it which I found really unfair which was you could move left and right and up and down always facing left or right but there was this one guy and you had no idea that they could throw knives but this one guy would just walk onto the screen and just throw a knife at you yeah and it would always take an energy bar away and that to me felt like cheating yeah and that's when i knew this is a dangerous game for dangerous guys like me <laughs> did I you ever play it did you play I, double, did you play two player
2: i did play double dragon my my post-swimming um game would have been uh so i was born in 73 so i would have been about 83 so we would, Montem Sports Centre, uh-huh. and, um, it was the, there was a big clicks machine. Remember clicks, K L I X? They were the drinks yeah, machines. What was that? Oh, big right. brown yeah. drinks machine, and you could get yeah. soup, hot chocolate, soup or hot chocolate, but the hot chocolate yeah. tasted a little bit of soup and, and no one wanted yeah. soup. So you'd have that wet hair. You would be given a penguin biscuit and yeah. it was Defender. Defender was the oh. one. And also, who would you trust to press your hyperspace? However, I totally get what you mean about that post-swimming buzz. There was a real energy off it. It, it felt very, very peculiar. So um, I would have loved to have kicked some ass after the swimming. I would have loved yes. to have walked down a computer street chucking barrels at people and dodging knives. It sounds like the perfect post-swim game.
1: It was. It was definitely the perfect post-swim game. And and if they're going to re-release it, they're welcome to use that on the cover. Yeah. Um. Just for sort of context for people to go. Yes. No. I understand what that because there are games that fit into those. I remember talking to you once about going into town with your mum shopping. Yeah. Um. And she would just like leave you in boots where you could just stand on one leg with you know maybe the other leg behind the crook of your knee yeah yeah as you like a pelican as you played the the free demonstrations on yeah. the various computer games yeah i uh,
2: genuinely think my legs are kind of bowed and right. i genuinely put that down to that pose of standing like a pelican <laughs> <laughs> It definitely yeah. had an effect and well done this i think this is the second time in this uh run of shows that john menzies has been mentioned. No. John Menzies, I think the one near us was in Uxbridge, which we didn't go to very often. If we got Borderslough and we felt posh, we'd go to either Windsor or Maidenhead. And if we mm-hmm. were be bothered with them, we'd go to Uxbridge. So, John Menzies, although I've since been told it's pronounced Mingis.
1: Yeah, John Mingis. Get that. I think up in Scotland, that's because uh, Menzies is pronounced Mingis in, uh, yeah. in Scotland. And, and it must be, you know, but you'd feel very strange. You'd be made fun of for weeks at school if you said, you would. Sweet, sweet pop down john ming is
2: i wonder if john ming is 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 i mean he
1: must have been a person right wh smith
2: yeah. do you know the the um I, well i don't know the name so this is not quite going to be the story i was hoping it would be but wh smith from what i know was started by someone called hw smith uh-huh. but then their son took over and swapped the letters around I
1: think. That's not really much of an anecdote, is it, actually? <laughs> that's you know, interesting, though. But what happened to the J from Jay Sainsbury's? I mean, I still call it Jay Sainsbury's. I,
2: well, I... Do
1: you, well, Tesco or Tesco's? It's Tesco, but... Technically. You feel like it's Tesco's, don't you?
2: Yeah, that's what I go for. I was trying to explain... My kids the other day were asking about jobs I'd had, and I was trying to explain B-jams uh to them but they were speaking of my kids my boys are going to be 12 and 14 very soon and they really wanted to are you aware of the five nights at freddy's yes i am okay so it's a game jump scares really good fun and then there's a movie but the movie is a 15. oh I took my kids to see who are, who are 11 and 13. I took them to see a 15 movie and I kind of thought it would be okay. Cause they're quite tall, but we got, um, ID'd twice. Once when we were buying yeah. the hot dogs and the young person behind the counter went, you know, this is a 15. Yeah. How old is he? He's 11. I went, oh, he's 15. And he'd been taught. Talk- he'd been trained to talk like this. Yeah. um and i said keep your hoodie up and stay on your phone the whole way in
1: right yeah <laughs>
2: so, so i said he's 15 okay w- what's his birthday and i went 2008
1: she said what's Ooh, the date?
2: she said well, i did that and she said what's yeah. the date and then i panicked danny
1: i panicked oh God, because you don't know yeah no what is it
2: so i said it's january the first he's a new year's baby what <laughs> Why would you say that? And then we got ID'd I I again.
1: Oh, no.
2: it, it's not we got ID'd again. We managed to make it work. And actually, it's not a very scary movie. And so I, would, I would not recommend but it. Is, it, is right. it
1: the law or is it a recommendation?
2: I think it's, well, when I explained it to my youngest, Kim, because he gets, a, he's a little sensitive. He said, have I just broken right. the law? I said, no, 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 no. It's just kind of like a rule. Yeah. I, think, I think that it's a, I think it might be a law. You know, I only discovered this the other day. Why aren't the prisons filled with children? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it comes up with the BBFC. This is a yeah, 15. What you know? if
1: they watch one at home?
2: Um, I think that's just terrible, terrible parenting. I don't right, think that's okay. against the law. Um, do you know who, you know, there's a signature at the bottom of the BBFC thing. Yeah. Do you know who that is now? No. It's Natasha Kaplinsky. Good for her. And No, incredible. It was weird. Isn't it? I, I, yeah. was with, I was with a, my partner. I said, is that Natasha Kaplinsky?" She went, oh, yeah, yeah. She's uh, the head of BBFC now. Oh, okay. Well, apparently
1: that was a known thing and was unaware it's of. It's very strange, isn't it? Thinking yeah. that Natasha Kaplinski from Channel 5 News yeah. has Does... to sign off on what you can or can't watch. <laughs> and she
2: made me try and sneak well she made me successfully sneak an eleven year old into a fifteen movie. I was sat there thinking, oh my God, is this gonna be like the Exorcist? Have I made the worst parenting here comes Patty the Cat. The worst parenting decision. It was actually quite tame. I don't know why it was a fifteen.
1: I do. There was my mom, one scene. Uh, my mum accidentally took me and about eight, eleven or twelve year old boys to see Red Sonia. Oh wow and somehow somehow we all got in. Yeah. And my mum is a talker through films. Um, she wants to make sure that everyone understands what's going on. Oh. But she was a talker this time. I've never heard her talk so much because she wanted to distract us from what was happening on the screen, which was women, there. It's quite booby, isn't it? There's a lot of booby. Yeah. And lots of heads uh, spurting blood as they pirouette through the yeah. sky. Yeah. Um, but it didn't do me any harm.
2: I was watching um, a, um, a Wes Anderson film. I can't remember what it's called, the, the, the French Dispatch. I'm a big fan of Wes Anderson, oh, yeah. and yeah, yeah. my 13 year old was there, and I thought, "Oh, this is one of my favourite directors." You know, directed Royal Tenenbaums, my favourite movie of all time. And I thought this would be nice if he kind of watches this and gets to see the style, and you know, see, see the. Uh, and we watch it, and then about 10 minutes later, there, the, later there's a there's a scene about an artist paint, and there's a nude woman. And this is the first time we've encountered this, and I absolutely panicked. I went, "Oh, there's a naked lady!" And I was trying to do the thing of turning it off, and of course I couldn't. And it was embarrassing for both of us. And I'm also worried. I've screwed. That's that's an integral moment in a young man's life. And I Mm. think
1: I think I screwed it up.
2: I think I've screwed him up for the next thirty years now.
1: Well, it's over to him now, isn't it? So it really is for him to deal with. Yeah. You know, you've done your best. You messed up once. Um, <laughs> but I think I'll I think it'll be fine.
2: When was um, you talk about the, the, the uh, way of the exploding fist on the BBC? Did you have a BBC? Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We had a series of the most um, boring computers uh, for children. Um, so dad would get it from work. And then it turned out it was possible to play a game on it, so we went down to Woolworths. Yeah. I went to the bank where I had a Griffin Savers account. I think I had about £2.25 on it. I took out one seventy-five, I believe. And I think that's how much the tape cost for Way of the Exploding Fist, leaving me with a cool 50p. Um, So after the first six attempts of loading it on cassette, Mm. listening to the noises and all that kind of stuff. When it still hadn't worked, I thought, I don't think this is ever going to work. Yeah. Um, but somehow it then loaded. And my God, that was a a changing moment. And all you could do was punch or kick. And jump, yeah. I think, as well. You could jump I think you could do kick. flying kicks as well, couldn't yeah. you? So it was that or punch and kick. And it, again, it was just those very simple sound effects. But the fact that what you did on a keyboard... yeah also worked um, on uh, on the screen, you were controlling it. it, was just so great, and it made me fall in love with two-player games, which really are the only games I, I like very much. I like multiplayer games, and I always have. Um, everything I played after that was always multiplayer, whether it was yeah. Road Rage, was that what it was called? Road Rage with the... Um, no, it was something else, wasn't it? It sounds like Road Rage, but on the motorbikes. Um, where you're on a motorbike and you've oh, got like a chain and yeah, head. yeah, I can't remember. Um, or Streets of Rage. Or um, I remember playing a whole game with my dad. It seemed of EA Hockey, um, and he was really going for it. He was doing really well, and then we realised that it was still on one player, and he he hadn't been controlling anything. Um, which is when uh, he thought this isn't really for me. This, but I did hear this one beautiful story about a guy who dug out his old Sega Mega Drive. And there was some some game like OutRun. So, yeah. Um, a racing game of some kind. And it would save your best lap so that when you next played, you would see how you did.
2: Oh, there was like a uh,
1: ghost car that was... Exactly, yeah. a ghost car. And he realized that his dad would always play that. And his dad was better than he was. And he then realized that that ghost car that he was now watching (gasps) 20 years later, whatever, was his dad's last race (sighs) on OutRun. And so sometimes he will sit there and he will play it and he will race that car, but he always makes sure he loses so that that race can always be played again. And I thought there's something so beautiful there Mm. about those, those mundane moments of maybe sitting on a sofa next to someone you love. Doing something completely normal that yeah. you think will be forgotten forever, but actually turns out to be a treasured childhood memory—the sound of the game, yeah. the music, the sound of the title screen as you press, you know, enter or next or A or B or whatever—and yeah. that moment always being there for him, so he can still race with his dad and he can transport back in time to those Saturday afternoons. And I thought that was a an unexpected, beautiful thing about games.
2: That's fantastic. I think maybe we should end it there. I don't think we're gonna top that. That's gorgeous.
1: Always end always end on a high, eh? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I should ask what what you know. We speak infrequently, and I, you've been so generous to me throughout the years with your time and your support, and it's appreciated. No. Um,
1: well, I think I think you're great. That's why.
2: Ah, thank you, man. That means that means the world. Um, I do remember the time you tried to get me to eat prawns, and because I'd never had a prawn before, and I think I refused. And it was—I <laughs> have had a prawn since, and it was bloody horrible.
1: They're all—they're awful, aren't
2: they? They're terrible things. What are you doing now? I don't know what you're doing now, if you're doing anything.
1: I am doing a—I've just finished a new book, um, which will come out next year, and um, a new kids' book as well, uh, which will come out. It's been quite a writer year. I found that since the. The pandemic it's been there's been a lot more righty things going on and a lot less yeah. other stuff. But I do my uh, radio show as well. And um and yeah, I try and keep uh, keep out of trouble.
2: It's the it's the best thing. Don't don't go around yeah. chucking barrels or, or or things like that, people. No. It's not appropriate. No, I don't do Danny, that anymore. It's so lovely to see you. Thank you for Me your too. time and um I hope to see you soon. Me too. See you soon. Thank you so much for downloading Ian Lee's Random Access Memories, a retro gaming podcast. Do check out the Patreon, patreon patreon.com. And also go to my YouTube channel and look for the random access memories there. Again, it's youtube.com slash Ian Lee. Thanks for downloading.